is the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. Way more interesting than anything you're listening to on NPR. Probably less exciting than what you're watching on OnlyFans. Bruh. We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started. All right, guys, welcome back to the Electile Dysfunction podcast. I am your host, of course, Ashton Cohen. I am joined today by Herb Morgan. He is the chief investment officer and founder of Efficient Market Advisors, a uh, division of Cantor Fitzgerald. And we're going to talk today about the economy, the investing landscape, the Fed, and a whole host of other things. Herb, thanks so much for being with us. Ashton, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Absolutely. I uh, want to first start off with, from your perspective, being in the industry so long and uh, being a chief investment officer, what are the sort of global macro trends that you're looking for that shape your investment decisions and philosophy right now? Um, what, what sorts of things are you paying attention to? right now and, and maybe even over the next few years? Are there any certain data points that, that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking very, very broadly at whether or not capitalism is waxing or waning uh, in the globe. Mm -hmm. uh, capitalism is what creates wealth. Right. Uh, you know, the basic fundamental unit is gain, mutual gain from exchange. If you have mutual gain from exchange, that is the definition of wealth creation. Uh, there are all kinds of arguments that can be made how even and all that. But if capitalism itself is, is on the expansion, that's like my first sort of thumbs up for global macro good things. And that really doesn't seem like it, I think some days, but it really is the case. Capitalism is, is gaining strength and footholds all over the world. Uh, second thing you want to really look at is what's happening in the United States. As goes the US, so goes the world. Mm -hmm. And we, at this point, are really largely driven by Fed policy. So keeping an eye and knowing what's happening with the Federal Reserve, whether they are in expansion mode or contraction mode, whether or not they've gone too far with one of the modes, right, that can, that can cause some problems. Um, geopolitical events for a more short-term impact, right? So, you know, right now we're in a geopolitical event with, uh, with China. China's cracking down on their own tech companies who are maybe doing listings in the U.S. or something right. like that. Um, that's a shorter term consideration, but a real one. Um, Can I just stop there for a second? The, do you think that's a shorter term issue or do you, isn't, isn't that sort of, I, I'm, I'm sure you saw the, the article that was put up by Chinese state-run paper about Tencent and well, it was essentially referring to Tencent. They were calling uh, video games the... Uh, yeah. What was it? Opium, soulless yeah. opium or something like that. Yeah. And, and obviously we saw what happened with Jack Ma, who he was, he was essentially kidnapped and, and, you know, and um, pushed aside. And, and we see that much more aggressiveness towards any potential threats from the business communities, from the tech communities that were promoted by China all along. And now they're getting too powerful and China's like, whoa, 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 know your place. We're still, we at the Politburo still call the shots. What do you make? What do you make of that? Well, I mean, look, it's not it's not good if you're for capitalism and freedom and, right. and the growth of companies and free choice and all that. But I can't believe that the CCP 
is making a, a decision that ultimately helps the CCP. Um, cap, you know, capitalism and freedom, what, what, what China's trying to do is to say, listen, we understand there's this great wealth creation. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to the human race. Right. And so we want to have some of it, but without all the freedom part of it. Right. Right. And so, and we want to still control it and own it. We want to let mm -hmm. you know who's boss. And uh, great, go for it. It won't last. Right. You can't keep, human beings are programmed biologically to want to be free. Very few humans like to be told what to do and to be controlled and told how many children they can have and all of those different things. Uh, totalitarianism has always been destined for the ash heap of history. I think, I forget who said that. It was Ronald Reagan, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, um, and ultimately, I, mean, I don't know when, just like we didn't know when the Berlin Wall would right. fall, and it did. We didn't know when communism would fail in Russia, in the Soviet Union, I should say, and it did. So the Chinese Communist Party is, in my view, sowing the seeds of their ultimate own destruction. I don't know when that's going to happen. So I kind of see it as, well, it's a good thing. These great companies, you know, the great companies of their country would prefer to list on our exchanges. Right. Right. Because of the access to capital, mm -hmm. even with the stronger reporting requirements, the, the tighter financial controls. Uh, I find it a fascinating evolution of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And with respect to your view on capitalism expanding globally, where, where do you see that? You know, you see, you see it everywhere in listings of public, public companies all, all over the world. I see there, you know, certainly there are, you know, a great example is take the U.S., right? We have two political parties, uh, major political parties. We have a, a faction of the Democratic Party that would really prefer not to have capitalism at right. all. <laughs> but that's a, small that's a small faction. In the end, that's a small faction. Um, and it's kind of a radical faction. Right. And there, there are radical factions in every political group and political party. But I think you see it in capital formation, listings, human mobility, uh, the ability to travel and move and go around, the rise of wealth. When, when, when people go, in the example of China, I'll use example, when people go from just trying to figure out how to survive on a daily basis, right? I mean, the, the natural state of human beings is is fighting tooth and nail to survive and not die every day whether it's by a tribe across the way whether it's by a wild boar in the wilderness or or, or disease and if you look historically we continue to become more civilized right we are at a period in time with the lowest rate of death by armed conflict in the history mm -hmm. of the human race right we still have too much death by armed conflict we're at the point of the lowest death by disease. Mm -hmm. We're at the point of the highest availability of clean drinking water in history. Right. So if and lowest death by natural longer, disasters as well, which is often not talked disaster. about. Yeah. But if you know, if you listen to the news every day, oh my God, the world's mm -hmm. coming to an end. Da, 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 da. We are literally. It's funny because we're the most intelligent beings on the planet, humans, and our life gets better and better and better. Access to healthcare is the highest it's ever been, and it's only going to get better with five G and the internet of things and the remote healthcare, right. food, the availability of food. If you're not worried, I mean, the poorest people in America are not worried about food. Right, actually. So that, that's a great thing. The poorest people in America have access to healthcare. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing. And that is starting to happen all over the world. So as people become less poor, 
I'm sitting in a lovely air conditioned building. Mm -hmm. 50 years ago, we would have had windows open, right? right, right. <laughs> Wedding in, in, in here. So the evidence of the evolution of us because of capitalism is just, it's just abundant. That being said, there has always been and always will be those who wish to prevent it and who actively fight because in their view, there's a better way. They just haven't been the ones allowed to try it yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was, it, that wasn't real communism. I'll be the most benevolent dictator yeah. you've ever yeah. seen. But, but then if you ask people in Cuba, right. or people in China, mm -hmm. or people in North Korea who are starving to death, right. uh, you know, and, and, and look, when I, when I, if you take a look at the map of, of, uh, from the, when I got out of college in the 80s, communism, right? In the 60s, we didn't know. We didn't know which one of these ideas was going to win. We're down right now. We're down at communist countries, Cuba, North Korea, China, Vietnam. Is there any, are there any yeah, others? I, I, right. I think it's four. Yes. And, and I just Vietnam and China, of course, have, have uh, instituted a lot of free market and, and globalization and trade policies that uh, have lifted their people out of poverty. Exactly. I, I mean, I just got back from Vietnam and look, they still have, they still have people without good education, without access to good healthcare, but it's all about, you know, I'm an, I'm an investor. So I always want to go, I don't want to go where the puck is. I want to go to the direction the puck is going. And right. the, puck, the puck is moving in favor of human freedom globally, despite what maybe some American politicians or media outlets would like you to believe. Um, this is the great, greatest age of capitalism. I'm 55 years old. I am the first generation of Americans not conscripted into an existential military battle. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War One, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. The last time we had a military draft was in my father's generation. That's awesome. That's the promise of capitalism. All right, absolutely. I and you know, I um I agree with you in terms of the you know, it's weird because I, I feel like we're in, to use a sort of a analogy in terms of investing in a bear market within a larger bull trend where, yes, the overall trend seems to be, uh, and if you take a sort of 30, 40 year time frame of more towards human freedom and development and capitalism and free markets, um, particularly, I think... I'm reading a stat in the 1970s, the majority of the world was under communism, which is insane to think about. Yes. Um, I think it was like 60% even. And, and now today, as you mentioned, there's like basically a couple left. There's the true believers in both the economic and political context are basically North Korea and Cuba. And then in the political context, it's, it's China and Vietnam uh, in addition. And so that, that is promising. On the other hand, we, it's almost like we have a new problem that abundance has, has resulted in, which is not even necessarily just the government abridging our rights, but also these giant tech monopolies that have more control and power over people's lives and what they're able to say and what they're able to do than basically any government in world history with the exception of maybe America. You know, I mean, it's, it's like Google has the power the Soviet Union would have begged to have right so and 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 then obviously you have the china aspect as well who's exporting their 
surveillance state philosophy and tactics to other countries who are like, you know, if you're, if you're a ruler of another country and China's offering that to you, it's like, oh, this is actually a pretty good deal. You get to keep people in line. You get to control what they do. You see what they're, uh, where they go, what they buy, this and that. So, so that, and I, I do think, yes, in the long run, um, it's just not sustainable. And uh, e even in the medium term, I just don't think it's sustainable. I think there's going to be serious repercussions coming for China um, because they, they sort of let the genie out of the bottle in a sense, and, and they have amazing surveillance state. Uh, but at some point with their diminishing resources in terms of energy and food and things like that, uh, their population boom, which is now behind them, and the people who have gotten a taste of some economic freedom, and if that, if the economic side of the equation doesn't work out too well for them, uh, or, or starts to diminish, which I think it's it's bound to happen, then maybe you, you see some more pressure to get the political freedom. So I, I do think overall we have a lot to be happy about. And of course, you know how many hundreds of millions of billions of people have been lifted out of poverty in just the last twenty years. Mostly, uh, most of those people were in China, uh, so that's great. Um, so, but it, it is it is hard to see the forest from the trees because of the present state we're in with Corona and all this, but I, I do agree with your general point. Yeah, I, I mean, you said it really, really well. You say like a, maybe a, it's like two steps forward, one step back, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, 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 the monopolistic power of some of the tech companies, right? I think the big dog is Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. So- And Google. And Google, right? So those two, those two big dogs, but we, you know, we've been through this before, right? We had, we had antitrust and trust busters uh, in, right. in the railroads, when the railroads were the new technology and right. people gained monopoly power. And we have the laws in the system, you know, in the Trump administration towards the end, they were really starting to go after, the Justice Department was starting to go after tech. Right. And what's interesting is the new, uh, we haven't seen it now, they went after, 20 years ago, they went after Microsoft, it took mm -hmm. 10 years to figure it out and solve it. And now it's, there's this new stuff. And so the wheels of our system do move slowly, but I do see bipartisan interest Absolutely. in figuring out the solution. I mean, you got one hand, you had Donald Trump, and then mm -hmm. the other hand, you have Elizabeth Warren. And yeah, you can't and, get and more proposed. Pawn of, F, of the uh, FTC, who's, who's like one of the most uh, ambitious antitrust, I think, warriors around. She, I mean, that's literally yeah. her whole claim to fame was running a thing on uh, Amazon. Uh, yeah. So that's, I, yeah, for sure, that's, I think that's, that's promising is, you know, we, we have to have a I, I do think that they are a, um, especially a couple like Facebook and Google, are a uh, impediment to more competition just because they're, they're so powerful. They'll just buy you out or they'll force you or they'll copy your product as Facebook has done many times, right? Mm -hmm. And and so so maybe that needs to be resolved. Uh, that's definitely the case. Do you think that looking at the the landscape in terms of equities and bonds, do you think equities are too overvalued? Do, do you think that, or should we, given the sort of, fiscal policies and monetary policies by the Fed uh, and fiscal policies by the administration. Do you think this is, we're going to be in this state of, yeah, equities are going to be overvalued because we're printing so much money. So they look overvalued, but they're not really overvalued. How, how, do, you, how do you go about that? What do you, what's your perspective on that? Well, I mean, look, the value of equities is the, the, the earnings yield, right? So that's the inverse of the PE. So the inverse right. of the PE, the PE, the forward PE, five months ago was like 26, 27. Mm -hmm. Stocks are way higher today and the forward PE is down to 22. So why? Because earnings are exploding. The year over year earnings growth is amazing because we had a, a shutdown economy and 
we could talk at length about the first ever supply side recession where we cut off supply. It wasn't a, a you know lack of aggregate demand. Right, right. But I don't think the equity markets are overvalued today. I think they have a little higher multiple than perhaps they have had in history. But you can only value things on a relative basis. That's mm -hmm. that econ one, right? So right. the ten year treasury is at one eighteen, and that means an inflation's argue whatever number you want, but inflation's for the next five years is probably in the two and a half to three percent range at least. So you have negative real yields on 10-year USTs, right. the most negative in history. To me, that says the bond market is incredibly overvalued mm -hmm. and that the stock market is actually the only game in town, mm -hmm. which is awesome too, going back to our previous discussion, because, you know, under the, I mean, to me, we can own the means of production. That's the beauty of capital. This beautiful, efficient capital market. If I want to change things at Facebook, I can go buy 10 shares of Facebook and I can actually get something on that proxy. I, it'd be hard, <laughs> but as a shareholder, you have a lot of rights as an owner and you can band together with other shareholders if you want mm -hmm. to make changes, mm -hmm. right? So it's really up to the owners of the companies right. and the owners of the company in, in America are the people, whether it's through their IRAs or their big giant pension plans, et cetera. So now I don't think the market's overvalued at 22 times earnings with a 118 10-year treasury. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now you, there's risks to that. If the yield on the 10-year treasury goes to three and a half, four percent, well then you then your market's going to have to contract because your risk-free rate of return is now three and a half, four percent. Right. And I just want to elucidate. Uh, maybe you can you can pitch in as well for for our viewers who are unfamiliar with some of these concepts. So obviously P is price earnings multiples. It is uh, price earnings ratio. Um, one of the traditional metrics used to value whether a, a uh, stock was overvalued, looking at its price relative to how much it's earning. Uh, and then obviously with the 10-year the treasury, when you're talking about negative real rates, you're saying that inflation is going up as a percentage basis, even using the, the current CPI, which is a bit manipulated for sure, um, is basically is devaluing your dollar more than what you can get from a 10-year treasury, which was always sort of one of the metrics to uh, judge, right. judge it by, right? Yeah. If, if inflation is running 2% and your yield is three, right. your real yield is one. Mm -hmm. But if inflation is running 3% and your yield is one, your real yield is minus two. Right. And so that means, in my view, the bonds are overvalued. Why are they overvalued? Well, there, there's a massive amount of demand. The other thing too about the, the, the money printing at the Fed, you know, great economist Milton Friedman always talked about inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomena. But he goes on to say in that if you produce more cash needed than the growth of the economy, you get it. So you do have to expand right. your money supply to facilitate economic growth and because I believe that the, the expansion of capitalism is, is in its golden era, and this, this, this movement of freedom is an opportunity, is, is, is started with the American experiment, and it's now being adopted other slowly, begrudgingly, there's the last holdouts, but you need more money supply to do that. Mm -hmm. The question right now for us as investors is, did we go, are we going too far right. with printing $120 billion a month? That's the question. We won't know the answer for some time, right? But we're buying 80 billion in treasuries and 40 billion in mortgage backs every month out of thin air. 
that is a violent intervention into a, a normally free and efficient market. Right. And it's unprecedented at this level. Completely unprecedented. In addition to that, so we're, we're soaking up. We've also done this experiment this year with modern monetary theory, which that's a dangerous experiment, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? We literally, the Fed buys government debt. The government takes the cash of this newly issued debt and just gives everybody money. John Maynard Keynes, who would have been the, the stalwart of the left, looks right. like a conservative, right? Mm -hmm. John Maynard Keynes' theory was, look, when you have a recession, you get out of it by public works projects. You borrow money, you get the people to work, the money circulates through the economy. Right. He said at the extreme, you could pay people to dig a hole, fill it back up, and that would start to put, like, put a little gas in the carburetor, mm -hmm. use an old analogy. We just bypassed everything. You know, in, in, in the 30s, you know, in the, in the Depression, we said, well, let's build Hoover Dam. Right. Let's go build national parks. Let's mm -hmm. put men to work on the interstate highway system. Right. Bypassed it all. And we sent them debit cards and we gave them cash. We don't know what, what's going to, how that's going to end. Mm -hmm. And there are people within our government uh, who believe, we had a presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, who believed you should just send everybody a check every month forever. Right. And, he, and their, their basis for that is that the U.S. is the world's reserve currency. And right. because we're the world's reserve currency, we can get away with what would be bad behavior anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. my, my response to them is, yeah, but how far do you want to push the envelope? Yeah. Right? How many times, you know, it feels really good to go to the punch bowl and have a, a cocktail. And then there's two cocktails. Then there's three. And it mm -hmm. gets ugly after that. And you can die. <laughs> right. And ex explain, explain for the viewers how, how the fact that we're the world's reserve currency lets us get away with that. Sure. So it goes back to World War II. Right. right? We, didn't, we didn't want to get involved. We wanted to sell everybody in the West, meaning Europe, the supplies they needed to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want to take French francs or British pounds because we didn't know if they would win. And if they lost, their currency would be worthless. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have dollars with which to buy supplies that we wanted to sell them. So we said, hey, we're America, we're productive, we got these great factories, we're not in the war, we got this huge population, buy stuff from us, but you got to pay in gold. So as World War II progressed, the thing that was happening for America was we were getting all the gold in the world. Right. It was all coming to us. Ultimately, we got dragged into the war and we were forced to fight militarily. When we turned the tide and we won the war, right? So. When you win the war, you get the spoils of war. Right. And Secretary of the Treasury back there, Morgan Thau, mm -hmm. put, put together this thing called Bretton Woods. Right. The meeting in New Hampshire. And everybody mm -hmm. goes to Bretton Woods. Yeah, I'm actually going there in, in, in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. excellent. Take pictures. But they said, listen, guys, here's, here's the new world order. Mm -hmm. We're going to have everybody can keep their own currency, but it must be pegged to the U.S. dollar. Right. And since we have all the gold, mm -hmm. the U.S. dollar is convertible into gold. Right. And everybody kind of had to agree. And right. we, by doing that, we essentially became the world's reserve currency. Mm -hmm. Later, we got into the Vietnam War. We had to spend way more money than we possibly had. Right. We couldn't put more dollars. So we took it off the gold standard. And mm -hmm. for a period, that caused the dollar to decline in value. Since then, the dollar uh, has been accepted as the world's reserve currency, mm -hmm. currency by fiat. And exchange right. rates are mostly free-floating. Right. Because we're the world's reserve currency, commerce is done in dollars. If, I, if I'm in Tel Aviv 
and I own an Italian restaurant, and I want to buy Italian wines to put in my Israeli-based Italian restaurant, right? I buy them from a broker and I pay the broker in what? Dollars, right? U.S. dollars. Yeah. And because so there's always there's always a there's always a um, <laughs> definitive demand for it, right? So it, it it's it's an amazing thing. So we beforehand the whole world. Um, going back to say, the 19th century, the, their currencies were backed by gold. And America says, all right, this is what's going to happen. Your currencies are going to be backed by our currency, which is then backed by gold. And then we got rid of the gold standard altogether. And then we're like, all right, well, your current, well, our currency is going to be the backbone of the entire financial ecosystem. And you right. guys are all going to be paying in our money. Right. And so what does that give us, right? Why does it give us so much power in the world? Well, <laughs> we are the most, we're the wealthiest nation in the world. So we buy everybody else's stuff. Right. So when we buy stuff from China, we buy with U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. Now China's sitting on U.S. dollars. What do they do with those U.S. dollars? Well, they can buy stuff, but since they're a net surplus country, they have to save their U.S. dollars. And the only really way you can save dollars at that size and scale is to buy U.S. Treasury securities, the biggest, most liquid market in the world. Mm -hmm. So... Why do we need people to buy U.S. Treasury securities? Because we run a deficit every year. Mm -hmm. And it's bigger. So right now, it's like it's as big as in wartime, which scares me. It's another topic. But the, the trade deficit funds the budget deficit. And if you, you have only the world's reserve currency can run budget deficits forever. Mm -hmm. So China wants nothing more than for us to not be. They want faith right. in the renminbi. Right. Well, their actions of the last 30 days didn't give any more faith. Who would want to, their own people exactly. don't want their currency. Their own exactly. people are speaking it out, yeah, right? Exactly. right? Capital controls. Yeah. The Russians can't be the world's reserve currency. Right. The euro, 30 years ago, was supposed to be a threat. Mm -hmm. The euro's, the structural problems in the European Union are, are well known. Yeah, the euro Absolutely. can't do it. Mm -hmm. The yen is not big enough. The Swiss franc is not big enough. The British right. pound is not big enough. Enter crypto. Enter Bitcoin. Right. That, you know, that's another tangent for the conversation. Right. But for now. And we'll get to that for sure. Yeah. U.S. Uh, is the world's reserve currency. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. So, so you basically see the, do you see the Fed continuing this, in, in your opinion, continuing this sort of expansion monetary policy for several years? Yes. So yeah. the Fed, it's interesting. The Fed, re remember, the Fed is not that old, right? Mm -hmm. So Jekyll Island, and, the, and this is a little over 110 years old or so. Right. And, but, and the Fed didn't get, the Fed's only purpose in the beginning was to be the lender of last resort to prevent banks from collapsing. Right. It's a wonderful life. People go to the counter and say, Jimmy Stewart, where's my money? He says, well, I lent it to Ashton Cohen to buy a house. Mm -hmm. Well, we want it now. So with the Fed as the bank to the banks, Jimmy Stewart could have taken that mortgage, given it to the Fed in return for cash, met the withdrawals and the bank would not have failed. That's why we rarely have bank failures here. It's work. Yay, Fed. Right. Okay. But then we had this inflation after we went off the gold standard. Mm -hmm. Congress gave the Fed two new jobs. Number one, price stability. And number two, foster full employment. All my life, all my professional career, the Fed has been almost singularly focused on managing inflation. And every time core inflation, core PCE, that's the measurement they use, which mm -hmm. I think is better than CPI. Anytime it approached 2%, the Fed would start to tighten even if it meant creating a recession, even if it meant, um, you know. And by Titan, you mean what? Raise rates. Okay. Okay. So thank yeah, thanks for asking. So 
And the Fed always did that preemptively because we were just recently bitten by inflation. It's kind of like if you're in a car accident, you're extra careful for like a year right. because it's so fresh. Well, we were extra careful on inflation for 35 years. Now, this time around, the Fed is saying, well, we're not going to preemptively raise rates. We're going to wait until inflation exceeds our 2% target, and then we're going to start to tighten. Okay. So the risk to the current Fed policy is it's never been tried. They say, well, we just want it to average 2%. We had a bunch of years where it wasn't. The risk is that inflation expectations in the mind of consumers, now we start going, oh boy, we, we, it's going to be three. It's going to be three and a half. It's going to be four. You, it, putting that genie back in the bag for the Federal Reserve is going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not stupid people, and they are looking at a lot of data. There are still some pretty major deflationary forces at work right. in, our, in our economy that don't have to do with the money supply. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are in an, a, an age of untried, untested, unproven monetary policy theory that I understand the word. I, re- I really understand the worry that some people have. Mm-hmm. But then I look to the stock market and say, well, collectively, I guess we're okay with it right now. Mm-hmm. That could change. But right now, the stock market's saying, good job, Fed. And do you think that, are they in a position where it's almost unpalatable to, to raise rates anytime soon or, or to raise them much? Are we sort of in this low interest rate environment? Is that the kind of the new normal? Because before, I mean, you've been in the industry for, for decades and interest rates, people might don't realize interest rates used to be pretty high, right? I mean, it's particularly by today's era, right? I remember even in what, like the uh, late 70s, and early 80s, you were looking at double digit interest rates, which is just, yeah. I can't mortgage, even conceive of that. 12%. Right. So, yes. so how, how, how is that going to work out? Um, nobody knows. Uh, look, I mean, there, there was this, I don't know if you remember maybe 20 years ago, Alan Greenspan, former, he was a, you know, an Ayn Rand disciple, right. Came, became the maestro. And then, and then he kind of, he kind of was talking, there's going to be too much turbulence. There's going to be too many boom bust cycles. And, and he, he was, you know, it was, the, it was the evolution of monetary theory. Well, there was a book written sort of to counter that by an economist. I think it was University of Utah. I forget his name, but it was, it's called The Age of Declining Turbulence. And what he argued was that monetary policy sophistication in the United States was getting so good that we, could, we were actually going to be able to dampen and deaden the negative impacts of the business cycle through the use of Fed tools. Mm-hmm. And so... We've never had a depression as bad as we had. We probably should have. I mean, I know we should have in 08. I mean, it was, it was worse. What was going on was worse. We had every single bank in the country was insolvent for like a three-week period. Right. Um, and yet we weren't, I wasn't selling apples on a street corner, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then here we are today with this global pandemic. I think we're doing a million things wrong there. But um, through the use of both monetary and fiscal policy, uh, our portfolios are looking pretty good. Um, we still just don't know the long-term implications. That's the great unknown right mm-hmm. now. What, what happens with, when, when the bond market says, no, we're not, we're not loaning the United States Treasury money at 1.2% anymore mm-hmm. because you guys have too much debt? Um, we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to outgrow the debt as a percentage of GDP. In fact, this to kind of shock everybody to know, but in the coming four or five months, one of the reasons the bond market's so strong and the yields are so low is debt issuance by the U.S. Treasury is going to really drop in the next three or four months. Mm -hmm. And as it drops, people are freaking out. Well, I need, I got investor money. I got cash. I got to put to work. And so they're bidding up these bonds right now. Um, I always say, trust them. They'll spend it at, at some point and they'll need more. <laughs> but, right. But right now the borrowing needs are expected to decline a little bit. Uh, GDP is exploding to the upside and that certainly uh, helps to get the debt to GDP level down a little bit. So do you see along that same path, do you see that people are basically because they see maybe motivated by inflation that they need to get their money into something productive? They, they need to get it into equities or real estate or bonds. They just have to get it in because they don't want to keep it. Well, I think look, there is a momentum aspect to the market right now. Cash pays nothing. Right. Look, I think if you could get a money market at 3%, a CD at 5%, uh, I think some people would choose that because mm -hmm. there's no volatility, there's no risk to it. Right. But when when you're looking at your bank money market account that pays essentially zero, right. add in 3% inflation, mm -hmm. you go, well, at least I can go get a 1.8% dividend yield on the S&P 500. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there is some of that in the marketplace. And I, and I really think everybody keeps asking me, what could cause this market to go down? Uh, I think it's not demand, right? The difference between backlogs and inventories right now are the widest it's ever been in history. Right. Demand is there, the economy is booming. But if we get a sudden bond bear market, if the bond market says no mas, then that's when the equity market makes its big correction. Mm -hmm. and, and here we are at 118 on the 10 year. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. What could cause the bond market to say that? Is it, is it just because of the, the debt situation? You know, yeah, I think it's, this is an incredibly remote possibility is that some other currency emerges as the reserve and, and the U.S. just can't borrow the way it is, um, the way it has. Um, you know, we're up against the debt ceiling right now, but we, we've, and then you see the news articles, the U.S. will default. No, the U.S. will not default. Legally, they got to pay the interest before they do anything else. <laughs> Even in California, you know, laden with debt here, the Constitution's pretty clear. Uh, the only things that have priority over the debt is K through 12 education in the prison system. So they would have to shut down every other service of the state of California in order to default on their debt. That's set up constitutionally. And in the United States, it's the same thing. So the, the full faith and credit of the United States government is there. So it would just be the overall bond market buyers saying 1.18% is not enough and the buyers go away mm -hmm. and all of a sudden interest rates go higher and higher and higher. Uh, that causes the market to wobble, but that's right. a very small yeah. possibility. Especially the United States. And, and again, for uh, people who don't sort of understand the context of this, the, for example, with, with other countries, um, you know, a place in Africa or maybe Turkey or whatever, the rates that you get back on the bond are much higher because people are less trustworthy people are less trusting to give their money to these places. So they have to get a higher interest rate in return. Whereas in the United States, people think, yeah, nothing's really going to happen. So. Right. I mean, I'm looking to keep looking at my right here, but you know, the 10 year yield, as I keep saying is 118. Right. And, and as you point out, less stable country, Brazil is at 3.7, mm -hmm. but there's other bubbles in the bond market. So for example, Greece, I, I, you know, right. Greece, 
<laughs> the 10 year yield in Greece is only 0.5%. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, it's shocking it's, to me. Uh, Switzerland's right. stable. It's Switzerland, the Netherlands, Germany, France, and Japan all have negative interest rates. For right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So and it's crazy. You lose money for the, for the benefit, giving them your money. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I've seen a little bit of that as well, uh, where you have these countries that some of them are just uh, basket cases financially, and then they're barely giving you <laughs> an interest rate because they can. So right. you know, then the question, you know, if as an acquiring mind, I, I need to ask myself, what is the bond market, the global sovereign debt market? What is it telling me? Mm -hmm. And it really is telling me that we're still fighting deflation hmm. okay. despite the massive money printing, hmm. right? That is, and I can't, it's very hard to wrap my head around. Right. Because that's, if people are buying Swiss debt at a negative yield, it's telling me that we still have a deflationary problem, which is just, it's not jiving with the economic activity, the growth, the earnings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the GDP numbers, but and what what do you think is causing the deflation? Is it is it just that certain things are are you know for example electronics and TVs and stuff right? The the, the cost of scales of things are getting so much cheaper. Um, it, I'm sure that plays an aspect. But what else would be causing it? Um, it could be that. It could be that. It could be just you know it's innovation, right? Mm -hmm. Innovation and in everything is deflationary, right? It could be that economic growth and the formation of capital is such, and capitalism is doing so well that you need more money to facilitate that economic activity. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, we've increased the money supply of dollars. All the other central banks have increased money supply. Right. And all the cryptos, which are new, that's money supply, mm -hmm. right? Because Bitcoin, I'm going to get, somebody's going to get mad at me, uh, but Bitcoin's a currency. Right, you can use it as a medium of exchange and and chain link and Ethereum mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's new money supply, and it's not replacing the dollar. If it was, the dollar would be declining. Mm -hmm. It's supplementing it. Right. So maybe this is just like we're just not even seeing that the world is awesome and it's getting better. Mm -hmm. Might be what it's saying. Interesting. Yeah. One 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 the um, sort of I don't think people pay enough attention to this and it seems like a sort of unintended consequence, but someone brought this up that the, I'm sure you know about the whole the stable coins like Tether and USDC. So basically the main stable coins that everyone uses themselves are backed by dollars, right? They're based on the US dollar, right? No one uses a uh, Swiss franc stable coin uh, or, or even a Euro stable coin. It might exist, but no one really uses it. The almost the entire billions and billions and billions of dollars in stable coins uh, or all the US dollar backed stable coins. So in a way that seems, it seems to almost be emphasizing or reinforcing the dollar's reserve currency status because <laughs> the cryptocurrencies in a way are uh, when, when, when you move into a stable coin, you're empowering the dollar and the, and the more dollars, the, the more demand these stable coins get and they're getting, you know, uh, it's going to be trillions pretty soon. Uh, and they have to have dollars backing those up as well. So in a way, um, so, so they're not, they're not dollar backed, they're dollar tied. Dollar, and that's right. a really important distinction because 
you 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 theoretically have the right to convert them to right. US dollar one for one, but there's no guarantee and there's not a vault full of dollars for each one of the stable coins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, for example, I've not purchased a stable coin. I believe that if I want something tied to the US dollar, I could buy T-bills or money markets. Money right. markets are not guaranteed either. But generally speaking, money markets are stable at $1 per, per share. Right. And so I don't see, for me, I go, well, what, what do I need a stable coin when I got these things? Uh, I do like, I have personally, uh, and I can't give advice. Nothing I'm saying here is advice. It's not a security. I'm not licensed to give you advice on it, on something that's not a security. But uh, I have speculated in some of the cryptos mm -hmm. because I do see, and I've learned where the, the value may be coming. Unfortunately, it's new. And there's also room for very, very bad people to use them for very, very bad purposes. And we, we, you know, we, don't, we don't want that, but we also don't want to prevent you and I from going to McDonald's and paying with our Bitcoin linked card. Right. Visa or having a deflationary asset like Bitcoin, where we know for sure what the money supply is going to be for all of time. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. The, um, so what is your couple things I want to ask you about uh, related to portfolio allocation stuff. What is your advice or what would you be doing if you were a sort of millennial uh, trying to build wealth for the future? What sorts of things are you looking at? What's your uh, portfolio allocation? Would you yeah. have, um, would you have your crypto as a part of your portfolio allocation? What else would you have in there? Yeah. So the first, the, the most important financial advice anybody ever gave me when I was 21 and I got my securities license, so that was a long time ago, is pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. What the heck does that mean? Right? So you have, you have a job and you have income or you, however you earn your living. The most important thing you can do is to save for your retirement. It is easy to be poor in 24. 24. Mm -hmm. You can eat top ramen and mac and cheese and cup of noodles, but you do not want to be poor at 84. Right. It is miserable. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course the compounding effects and all that. So right. I tell every money, everybody I meet, your number one priority is to max out your company's 401k contribution and get to the point where you can own a piece of real estate. That's a hard asset. Mm -hmm. Inflation, you know, takes care of real estate investors because right. the debt stays fixed and the house right. value goes up. That's right. number one and number two. Now, what's your asset allocation within there, within that 401k? Uh, I would be almost entirely equities, mm -hmm. maybe as much as 100% if you just don't care about the movement because you're young. And if right. the market crashes, you're going to buy more with your next paycheck. Mm -hmm. And if it crashes again, you buy more. And we believe ultimately that uh, stock markets will go to new, new heights. They always have in my lifetime and mm -hmm. in my career. Absolutely. The last part of your question was on the crypto. And, and again, this is not advice. Nothing right. I'm saying today is investment advice. No recommendations right. made. But uh, I am fascinated by the Bitcoin because of the limited supply, because of the accessibility to more people. People don't understand that more people have access to Bitcoin, should they choose to, mm -hmm. than an actual bank account. Right. Or, or even the stock like Apple or anything, yes. or the S&P 500, because it's, it's a global um, global asset that anybody can get into with much less barriers of entry. Like how are you going to set up a Schwab account if you're in, you know, Africa? Right. That, 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 that's exactly the point. And so I do think, you know, owning it, it has, is intriguing. There's going to be a lot of people lose a lot of money in it and a lot of people make a lot of money in it. There's going to be 
joke coins that some right. have value. There's going to be bad people. You're not a fan of cum rocket then, I assume. <laughs> no, there's going to be uh, people who steal. Yeah. There's going to be uh, senior citizens that are taken advantage of. So right. I was, I was, I kind of like SEC Chairman what Gensler said. Look, all I'm interested in is investor protection. And he, did, he said, I, I'm not trying to prevent Herb Morgan from going out to dinner and paying with Bitcoin. Right. Or Herb Morgan traveling to France and buying wine with, with Bitcoin. We just want to stop um, extortionists, sex traffickers, terrorists, and people who would prey on, on elderly, un, unsophisticated people. Mm -hmm. if, if, that's the if that's the move the government goes with, right. I'm a happy guy. I don't think in the United States there is any chance of any administration, either party, saying you can't do this. Mm -hmm. It is yeah, not I mean, in this country yeah. that we're the just. The genie's out of the bottle, anyways, on that. You know, it, that? It, the genie's out of the bottle on that, anyways. You have senders who have Bitcoin exposure, you have the lobbyists and the billionaires who have Bitcoin exposure, and some of those powerful people. So, <laughs> you I, know, I, even I have some. Right, right, right. <laughs> do, you, do you have an increase in, in your clients asking you about it? I do. I get asked a lot about it a lot, and we have not purchased. There's really, for us, the only way to play here mm -hmm. is, you know, we primarily buy ETFs. Right. And there are no uh, crypto ETFs. There right. are some grantor trusts that mm -hmm. trade on the exchange. The problem with grantor trusts is that you need, they issue K1s. Most of our investors prefer not to get K1s. They prefer 1099 vehicles. Mm -hmm. But you can buy the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, et cetera. Right. You, you now also have access through futures. So we could play it in the futures market because those are regulated. Right. Um, my guess is that it's just a matter of time before either you play it through an ETF, fine, right. or the Schwab's, the TD Ameritrade's, E-Trade's, the Merrill Lynch's of the world. I mean, they are custodians. Right. And we do have now several approved custodians. I think they're all in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, the Winklevoss guys and the other ones. Uh, yeah, this, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can buy through custodians, yeah. right? right? And so why hasn't Schwab and TV, et cetera, why haven't they announced that or launched that yet? I don't know, mm -hmm. but I'd be shocked if they weren't, if they didn't have a meeting every two weeks with a group of people Absolutely. of execs going, okay, yeah. what's our, what's our crypto strategy? So I right, think, right. I think these digital assets are going to be here. Um, but it's very, very early days. It's like speculating right. in the railroad stocks Absolutely. in the 1800s. With, uh, I imagine when there is an ETF, and I'm, I'm very, very confident that's going to happen within a couple of years. Uh, there's just there's so much money. There's so many highly qualified, um, responsible, uh, and you know, uh, people with great reputations who are applying for them. Um, when that happens, that probably allows you and people in your position to be able to explore for your clients, oh, okay, maybe we can put a couple percent in here and here's the way we're gonna do it. I, I would think, yes. I mean, you, you mentioned, I was talking to somebody earlier today about alternative investments, right? Non-correlated assets. Right. As a portfolio manager, the holy grail is, can you find something that has a, an absolute return, meaning it, it's not, and, and not correlated to the stock and bond markets. Right. You want that in your portfolio because it reduces the overall volatility and increases the overall return in theory. Could, a basket of cryptocurrencies represent an absolute return with a low, a standard deviation that's lower than the stock market. The answer is it could, 
obviously it doesn't today. <laughs> the standard deviation, I mean, you saw what happened with, 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 with Bitcoin in the last six months. That doesn't make it something that would go in my grandmother's portfolio. It might go in mine and yours, right? So right. It, it has to sort of stabilize the fact that it, it, it's sort of this, it is this finite, we believe it's this finite supply, only increasing at a diminishing rate. Therefore, theoretically, because of inflation should always increase in value. And it could end up being that piece of the portfolio. For some people, it's gold today. Mm -hmm. And I say, look, gold, the supply, we don't know what it's going to expand by. Right, absolutely. Somebody can figure out how to get gold out of the seawater down here in San Diego mm -hmm. uh, because it's all floating in the water. If you can figure yeah. out how to get it out, yeah. the price of gold will plummet. <laughs> right. And you got asteroid mining, which you know, uh, that may take some time. But you, know, <laughs> I mean, you see these asteroids all the time. Like, there's like 10 million quadrillions worth of gold and this and that, uh, right. which is interesting. And the, um, one, one of the more interesting stats I read recently was that so 47 million Americans have Bitcoin. Uh, which is insane. I didn't think it was that high. It was like 17% of the adult population. And then among millennials, among millennial millionaires, the majority of them have over 25% allocation in crypto, mostly in Bitcoin, uh, as well as the others. So it's very interesting in terms of what that pretends for the for the future. A significant portion of the uh, there, there's a lot of people I know who have the majority of their wealth in crypto. And, and even, you know, even my father, for example, and I, you know, it, it makes more sense with me, but you know, I, I put in maybe five percent or something of of his uh, investment portfolio, but it, it because of the exponential returns, it grows to so much of your portfolio, right? So you may have only put in five percent uh, allocation, and now it's like thirty five percent, right? Because of the the returns you've gone, particularly over the last year and a half. So right. it, it is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I mean, yeah, crypto dropped fifty a fifty three percent from mid April to or, I mean Bitcoin rather from mid April to mid mid July. Mm -hmm. And that is to me, as a student of history and markets, that's, it's, it's an asset that is in its early stages of development, right? right? That level of, you, you don't get 53% drops in Apple computer, mm -hmm. right? You just, you, right. you could, right? Yeah. They, you know, they could find accounting fraud, blah, 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 all these crazy things. I don't think you would, but yeah. Um, so you're doing Chinese SPACs though. <laughs> exactly. But here it is today. We're, 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 I'm looking at it right now. We're touching, we're, we're real close to 40,000 again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's up from a low of just under 30,000 right. on July 18th. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a unbelievably, I mean, it's proven itself to be a resilient um, asset, both Bitcoin, I would say Ethereum is probably the, the, the next one that I'm I have about I have about five cryptos I'm bullish on, and and both of those have just proven to be really incredible assets that you just can't um, you you can't disregard anymore, uh, particularly with respect to its adoption curve. Right, how many people are adopting it every single year? Uh, it's just is unbelievable. Uh, last thing I want to ask you is what your what you're really excited about. I think we talked a lot of, a lot of the downside of the things that can happen. What are you excited about in investing in um, in terms of opportunities over the, over the next several years, I think I think probably well, I'm excited about equities, mm -hmm. uh, specifically U.S. The great innovative companies of the world are primarily still only located and domiciled in the United States. There are some great companies in China, Alibaba. There's you know great companies in Europe, Nestle, but Nestle is a food company, right? right? And it's uh, so the top growth opportunities are here 
in the United States. And, and I think the top growth opportunity of all is the rollout of 5G. Mm-hmm. Uh, 5G is about a 10 to 15 year secular growth rollout. Uh, you know, you got to build the handsets. Right. You got to have the chips. Right. You got the carriers. Mm-hmm. You got the towers. You got the engineering firms that are right. installing and building everything. Then you have the applications to the Internet of Things, remote medicine. Um, All the capabilities and unlocks. I mean, we, we can't even conceive of them yet. But when you have that level of bandwidth and that level of speed, um, circling you all the time. I mean, how many different apps and technologies and applications can be unlocked that aren't possible right now? Uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing, including its its impact on self driving cars, the ability to sort of make quick decisions and to be able to read things um, instantaneously. Yeah, in fact, we we launched a five G investment strategy. It's uh, I think this is the third third year, or the second year, and you know the performance has been really really great. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we. I just think that's the number one theme. I mean, I suppose there's space and there's different things like that, but they're just, I think they're going to be very volatile. And, I, and, and I'm just, I watched, we're in the middle of earnings season right now and I'm watching right. the, the earnings come in and companies like Qualcomm and Corvo and Skyworks. Mm-hmm. And I, I am just amazed. I mean, what, Qualcomm at revenue increase for a company that size, I forget the exact percentage. I looked the other day, I said, I didn't think a company that big mm-hmm. it could grow revenue that much of a percent. Right, and, right. And Apple was the same thing. And, uh, all, all investments I make, I have to somehow, I have to, I have to look better than that. And those, right. and those yeah, the, the, the change to commerce, the change to our life, the change to transportation, this mm-hmm. allows for autonomous driving um, is, is very real with five. Do you have, do you have any opinion on the revolution going on with, in terms of genomics? Obviously you're in San Diego, one of the main biotech uh, capitals of the world now. Um, that is the, the rate of expansion in terms of the, the technology that's going on there with CRISPR, with um, yeah, DNA sequencing, with even if you look at, I remember when I was like nine, 10 years old, it was shortly after they, they did the first human genome. I remember seeing like Bill Clinton and that was like, it cost like multiple billions of dollars. Today you can, you can sequence it for, I, don't know, I think under a couple thousand. Um, do, do you have any opinion about, about yeah, that industry? I- I do. Um, I think it's a harder industry to invest in, mm-hmm. but I think the macro implications are up there with 5G. Right. It, it, to me, I, like, I, can, I, can, I know who the players are in 5G, mm-hmm. right? The, I know who the big chip makers are. I know who the carriers are. I know who the cell tower right. are. It, you got to be, I don't have a PhD in, 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 in biology or chemistry. And so, and I don't have that skill. There are people who do. Mm-hmm. And, but I agree from a macro perspective, when you think about the human condition, and what makes the stock market go up is an improvement in the human condition and the increase right. in wealth. And that, that is going to manifest itself in healthcare in general as a sector, the biotech side in particular, just like I said, tech in general and right. 5G in particular. Right, right, right. I think you're spot, you're spot on with that one. Right. And yes, it's all happening over here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely a, uh, a, a big industry, I think. Uh, it's, it's a great industry to have. San Diego's lacked, you know, sort of like a, a defining thing other than the military for so long. And now it's like biotech's going to be one of the biggest ones out there. And San Diego is one of the homes to it. And particularly my school, UCSD, my alma mater, is, uh, plays a big role in that as well. Yeah, the Tritons, you can see, I think that's graduate student housing behind yeah. me in those, uh, in those eucalyptus trees. Yeah. yeah. And those right. trees will remind everybody of the trees they would see in the Dr. Seuss books they read as a kid. Because mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Right, Seuss, right. Theodore Geisel was here and, and those trees were the inst- the trees in his books. That's right. 
That's right. Cool. Well, Herb, it's been an amazing conversation. It's been really interesting. I think a lot of people are going to uh, be very enlightened by it and uh, a lot of useful information, particularly, I think, for people who are in their sort of 20s and 30s and, and really think about these things for the first time. Well, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I also have a, a weekly podcast. If anybody's interested, it's yes. called Playing Bulls and Bears, or you can say, you know, hey, Siri, play Slaying Bulls and Bears, or hey, Google. Is it slaying or playing? My, my phone just did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Slaying Bulls, slaying bulls and, bears. and Bears. Okay. Name of the podcast. I will, I will put it in the, I'll put it in the show notes. Is there anywhere else people can find you? Uh, sure. Uh, Efficient-portfolios.com. Okay. All right. Herb Morgan. Thanks so much. Ashton, my pleasure. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast. And give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks again, and we will be back next week. Oh, man. And probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.